welcome to this episode of the Games in Schools and Libraries podcast. I'm Donald Dennis, and you can find me all over the internet as Walsvio. Today, I'm so really, really excited that we've got Jim Zub. Hey, Jim. Hello. Thanks for having me on the show. And you are the man, the myth, the legend behind all the Young Adventurers guidebooks. That's right. For Dungeons and Dragons, I'm the... Sorry, I guess the project lead and the and the lead writer on on these uh, series of books that have been put together for um, Ten Speed and Wizards of the Coast. Now, okay, so uh, for those who don't know, and most of our listeners probably do, but Wizards of the Coast produces Dungeons and Dragons, um, right. and have for decades now at this point. And what is Ten Speed? Ten Speed's an imprint of Random House, so they're sort of like a, a publisher underneath a larger Random House umbrella. And Random House distributes most of the uh, the Wizard of the Coast game products, sort of in in bookstores and game stores and things like that. Nice. Well, yeah. you know, it being an imprint for a publisher, probably most of our libraries knew that too, or librarians will have known that too, but I did not. Yeah, TedSpeed normally does stuff like um, cookbooks and and art books and and things in those kinds of spaces. Hmm. It's only recently that they've started doing more kind of, I guess, game-centric kind of content. They did a book called uh, Art and Arcana, The History of the Art of Dungeons & Dragons, Hmm. and that did extremely well for them. So I think they're extra motivated to be uh, making those kinds of books. Well, excellent. You've been sort of involved in the creative pursuits for a long time, right? What's what's yeah. a little bit of your background, Jim? Um, my background's originally in animation. Um, yeah, I went to school for classical, like Disney-style animation in the late 90s. And then I worked at a few different animation studios doing um, <clears throat> like layout and design and storyboard and a little bit of character animation before I moved over into uh, illustration and, and eventually project management for an art studio. And around that same time, I started producing my own comics and slowly but surely I've kind of wedged my way into the comic book industry. That's what most people know me for now is my comic book writing. Um, the young adventures guides are a very different kind of project because they're, you know, pros with, with, uh, artwork in the books for young readers and new players, but they're quite different from the, the typical comic stuff that I'm doing. Well, I guess we should, uh, we've now invoked them at least twice. We should talk about the young adventurers guides. Sure. What are they? And, and oh, I have to say it's part of a trend that I'm really enjoying. So I'm going to ask the question in a way that doesn't sound that I feel that way, but I do. What, what are they? And what's the point? Right. So the Young Adventures Guides are a way for new players or young readers to essentially be introduced to the precepts of role-playing games, specifically through the lens of Dungeons & Dragons. So it's like almost an ingredients book of these are the elements that make up a Dungeons & Dragons game and your role in the story that we're going to be making together. So they're rules-free kind of creative um, source books to encourage people to make their own characters, make their own stories, and and essentially, you know, build things together as a group or even as an individual. Your your creative ideas have, you know, are, it's fuel for those creative ideas. When you sit down at the table, you know what you want to be and what part you have to play in the story that we're making. Yes, and that can be intimidating to sort of step into. 
Yeah, I think a lot of us who have been playing role-playing games for a long time forget how odd it is when you're coming into it from the outside. And that role-playing games as a concept are really easy to understand once you're in the thick of it. But to people outside of the hobby, it feels intimidating or it feels strange. There's a sense that you have to know all the rules and that there's complexity. There's hundreds of books. And what we wanted to do was really pull it back to those core concepts of you are an important hero in the story. You have a role to play. What is that? What are your options? And how can we put that into nice organized bits of information that anyone can read and understand? Don't worry about charts. Don't worry about statistics. Don't worry about dice. Just get ready to have fun and tell a cool story. Sounds like it's the kind of book I need to read. Well, the, <laughs> I think what's been most exciting for us is that after the books have been released, we've gotten such incredible feedback from parents, librarians, booksellers, and players, even longtime players who have either been trying to get friends or their kids involved, and that these books have done a really good job of unlocking those concepts in a way that's easy for anyone to understand. And although they're called the Young Adventures Guides, that we're not writing them in a way where we're talking down to anyone. Mm -hmm. So you can give it to anybody and they get, oh, okay, I understand what I'm supposed to be doing. Because the reality is when you play a role-playing game, at the start, someone's going to tell you when to roll the dice. They're going to tell you whether you're trying to roll high or low, target numbers, all those kinds of things. What you need is your creativity and your ideas at the table. You need to know what your personality of your character is, what your, your you know, class and your role in this team is and what you're bringing creatively to the story in terms of drama rather than a bunch of min-maxed statistics. Absolutely. And this is part of a, I think, a huge trend that has, well, happened you know, a slow and steady march ever since I started playing role-playing games back in the 1900s uh, to, to make games more accessible. And some Systems have taken it. Well, we're just going to make the system super accessible. But right. this is D&D. &D, it's like, and, and I'm, I can't remember whether this was a Michael Moorcock quote or Pratchett, but one of my authors was talking about fantasy literature. And if you're writing in the fantasy literature field, um, you're either sort of aping Tolkien or you're intentionally not using Tolkien because, right, he's this pillar that has sort of given us the foundation for all of fantasy literature, which is also kind of like, if you're painting a picture of Japan, you're either, you know, painting that mountain or you are not painting that mountain, right? There's, there, um, there's just so much that evolves around it. And D and D is that for role-playing games, right? Yeah. I feel for me, literature wise, I feel like most fantasy is either pushing against or contrasting against Tolkien or, or Howard, like the right. Robert E. Celebrating Howard Celebrating or pushing is, against. Yeah, yes. is the Robert E. Howard stuff I always jokingly call low fantasy, like this pulpy, nasty sword and sorcery that I love. And, you know, Tolkien's like high fantasy. It's this illustrious, very magical, very, uh, you know, epic kind of approach to, to the whole thing. But either of those, you know, I think find their way into Dungeons and Dragons and Dungeons and Dragons, you know, since it essentially templated the hobby mm -hmm. everyone is is making decisions like you said you know for or against D D &D, to be more like or less like D D purposefully you know and D D itself is i think at its 
this will be a controversial statement against some of our, our on RPGs listeners, I'm sure, um, is the best edition that it's ever had. And it is certainly a lot more accessible than it's been, we'll just say, in years. Yeah, you know, for me, I think 5th edition does a really good job at moving the system forward in ways that are very natural. When I first read the rules, I was like, there's rules in here that the minute I read them, I was like, why wasn't this always part of the system? No kidding. But it, but it didn't lose it. They, they didn't stop looking backwards that there's a sense of legacy to it. There's a sense of celebration of what has come before and trying to keep even some of the strangest bits um, that, to me, intrinsically feel like Dungeons and Dragons, and right. and D and D is not generic fantasy. D and D is not even high fantasy or low fantasy. It's kind of its own funky thing, and that's one of the things I really love about it. Well, the second you get um, players involved, it becomes its own funky. Of thing. course, right? <laughs> and part of that is about the collaborative spirit of it. Yeah, that a D and D story doesn't always play out in a dramatically satisfying fashion. But that doesn't mean that it's not entertaining. And that is the goal, is entertainment. Yep. I'm entertained at the table. You're entertained at the table. We don't know what the story is going to be, but together we're going to find it. And that's where the joy comes, is in the discovery, in the improvisation, and in the excitement that it generates at the table, as it's this sort of moving, organic thing that we're all contributing to. And and sort of bringing it back around, uh, you know, with first edition, before it was called first edition, right? You also had basic and expert D and D to sort of talk down mm-hmm. to the younger players, like, "Oh, this is your starter set. Here, have this." Um, the new D and D, I think, is accessible enough that that, despite the size of it, because it's still not a small game, but that the Young Adventurers Guide is a great way to introduce them to what will be a su- substantial part of somebody's bookshelf if they get involved in it. Right, and and for me, once again, it's like. Introducing someone to D&D or role-playing in general is not about dice, and it's not about statistics. Oh, it's so about, about dice. I mean, well, it is when you play, <laughs> but I'm saying a new player, right, right, I'm right. going to get them in the door with narrative. I'm going to get them in the door with drama. I'm going to get them in the, door, in the door with focus, where I say you have choices to make, and the choices you make will have a distinct um, importance in what we're doing. That mm-hmm. when your turn comes around and I ask you what you want to do, you get to decide things, good, bad, indifferent, you know, things will change in the story based on your decisions and your actions or your inaction will have an effect. And for people who are used to going about their lives, not feeling people don't pay attention to them, people don't get them involved or or make them a focal point of their day to day. There's something very empowering about that. There's something very exciting about that. And I think that that storytelling quality is something that's missing from a lot of people's lives. And when they get involved in a game or they get attached to these kinds of stories, they realize the power in that both creatively and I think just internally. Right. And so, Jim, the Young Adventures Guidebooks isn't just a book, right? What what do you have in the line? What- so there's a line of books. Originally, the first sort of proposal we put together was a book. And as soon as we started building it, I realized, oh, man, this the scope <laughs> of it is much larger than one book could possibly contain. Um, and so we have four books in the series at this point. 
We have um, Warriors and Weapons, mm-hmm. which is sort of all the martial classes, the major races, and all the kind of um, mundane equipment that you would use for adventuring. Right. We have um, Monsters and Creatures, which is a broad overview of some of the most popular and iconic creatures from fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons lore. But it's organized in a different fashion. It's not alphabetical. It's thematic. So we're moving through different environments. We start underground. And then we move to the surface. So you've got like oceans and forests and hills and farmlands and graveyards. And then we move to the mountains and mountain peaks. And then we go up into the sky. So you end the story, the story, if you will, you end the book with, with dragons. Mm-hmm. And so it's got a real feeling of building and intensity up to this epic thing. And because the each um, set of creatures is in a particular location, you sort of start to see the narrative potential in them as groupings as opposed to individualized uh, profiles. That's and then we, yeah, yeah. I thought it was something just really different. And again, trying to create narrative, even in presentation, then we've got dungeons and tombs, which will be uh, coming out in late November. And that book is essentially doing a tour of six iconic locations from D and D lore and then the back chunk of it is all about making your own dungeons, using those examples as a springboard to create your own cool spaces along with, you know, graph paper, mapping symbols and ideas and traps and then dungeon specific creatures. Right. And then the fourth book is Wizards and Spells. And that's all the magic casting classes and then magical items. And is that so, one out? No, that one's coming out early next year. Okay, so I've got to get a spoiler from you. What uh, what is well, one or two of the iconic D and D locations that you're talking about? Is is there like a Temple of Elemental Evil in there? There is a Temple of Elemental Evil, oh. absolutely. So that's one of the six. Uh, we've got Castle Ravenloft is nice. another one, um, which we played yeah. through at our library. That was exciting. oh awesome. <laughs> yeah, that one just feels we wanted each one to exemplify a different kind of dungeon. So, I mean, you could just do underground kind of layers and you would be able to fill all six or, you know, dozens, to be quite honest. Mm -hmm. But we wanted to do kind of very different locations that exemplify the potential. So one of the ones we did was um, a pirate ship called the Sea Ghost because it's like, oh, look, it doesn't have to be a building. It can be a vehicle. It can be on the water. You know, there's Chult which is this tropical island, which is kind of a combination of two classic D&D adventures. It's uh, Tomb of Horrors meets Isle of Dread. Oh, uh, okay. So it's this tropical island, but in the center, and the island has all sorts of adventurous spaces. And then in the middle of the island, there's this very, very dangerous trap-ridden dungeon that is run by a demi-lich, just like the classic Tomb of Horrors. And it's called the Tomb of Annihilation. So that's the fifth edition equivalent of, you know, Tomb of Horrors by way of Isle of Dread. So it was able for it, we could sort of show two elements, overland adventures and outdoor adventures, along with, you know, a very um, potent and deadly space. So in your stats and numbers light uh, presentation, are there stats and numbers in these or is it still, hey, there may be a scenario booklet out there you can buy that has all that stuff statted out for you? So it's 
pretty much statistic free. So there's no hit points. There's no armor class. There's none of that stuff. It's all just narrative concepts. So we would have, you know, bullet pointed lists of story ideas or things that are happening in some of these locations. And then we might have a, a short fiction blurb. And at the end of that fiction blurb, there is a series of sort of open-ended questions, which is the same kind of thing you'd get at the table. Hmm. So it says, here's something that happens in this space. Here's an example of an encounter. What would you do? So there's sort of like reading or writing prompts for new players to get a sense of, oh, these are the kinds of things that I might be faced with in an adventure. Kickstart your imagination. All right. So when I'm, when I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, hmm, is there going to be one for scoundrels? <laughs> well, we we're talking the the books have launched very successfully uh, i think much larger than any of us even anticipated mm-hmm. um and so i'm hopeful that we're going to be able to do more than these four and with that in mind it would be awesome to do like a book of villains or you know we only got to skip along the surface of a handful of iconic creatures i think we could easily do another monster book and dig in deeper on some of those cool uh creatures and and sort of off the beaten path stuff. And there's all sorts of different subjects, whether it's locations we could explore or larger precepts around dungeoneering that I think would be a lot of fun to do other books around. And, and what's interesting about it is even the stuff that is in the player's handbook or the dungeon master's guide or the monster manual presenting it to people in a way that's much more uh, bite size and easy to understand and and organizing it in a fashion that ideally, like I said, sort of kickstarts people's imaginations and gets them thinking about stories over statistics. Right. It, it's sort of, and I haven't actually gotten my grubby little paws on these yet, and I will now be ordering them for our libraries. Oh, uh, thanks. But um, the uh, it sort of reminds me of back when I was in grade school and there was the Castles book or the right. Pyramids book. And you'd open it up and it'd say, oh, and here's all the stuff that was going on there. But they didn't say, yes, and it's 15 hit points for this, because it was sort of more of a look at it as a uh, anthropology for grade schoolers. Right, absolutely. But I, but I think in terms of your dungeon master is going to assign all those rules and statistical elements to it. Right. What they want to know is, do you want to play a ranger or do you want to play a fighter or do you want to play a sorcerer? What kind of sorcerer or fighter or ranger or bard do you think you want to be? How do you see yourself in terms of personality or race or goals? And those are the things that we can then channel into rules and dice rolling at the table. Yep. And and once you have your concept, we can turn that into a fully fleshed out statted up character but if you come to the table cold and someone just presents you with the player's handbook and says read this thing and you're just reading attributes and you're reading charts you're reading skills and proficiencies i think the vast majority of new people are intimidated by that and there's something to be said for getting a pre-gen character and there's something to be said to just you know jump into the table and go with it but for a young reader who may not know or feel confident or for a new player who just wants a little more grounding in these things before they sit down at the table, mm-hmm. I think it's really valuable. One of the things that surprised us, we were talking to a librarian at Gen Con and they said that in their game that they're running for, you know, middle graders, 
they made the monsters and creature book an in-game artifact yeah. that some old hunter said, cause this is everything I know about monsters and hands them <laughs> this book. And so now they can flip through it and get a sense of what something might be or, you know, search for particular creatures in particular areas and feel a little more confident strategically what they're going to do. It doesn't mean that every encounter is going to follow exactly what they expect, but it gives them a framework for their game and for their excitement. And if, you know, they encounter a creature that's not in the book, well, there's something exciting about them writing up a profile for it based mm-hmm. on what they've learned. And that's that's really neat. So what is the voice from these? Like, is it someone who is passing information or is it, are you talking to the player or are you talking? We're to talking the- to the player the majority of the time. Okay. We're talking in a broader lore sense. Um, in that way, one of the things that I convince wizards that we should do is that I wanted to be able to compare things anachronistically. So if I tell you that a particular creature is as long as a school bus, that was exactly that what gives, I was thinking. <laughs> that gives you an ex- instant frame of reference for size. If I tell you that this creature is so tall that when you look out your second story window, you're looking in its eyes. Mm-hmm. Your imagination is ignited off of that idea. It gives you something really visceral uh, as a storytelling, you know, precept there. Now, does the uh, the two, uh, the locations book do the same thing, or is it just for the monsters and the no, players? Whenever we're talking about size or height or weight, we always try and reference it against real things. Okay. So it's, this weighs as much as a jumbo jet, or this is as tall as you know, a 20 story building or whatever mm-hmm. um, for the locations. Obviously we're talking in game lore stuff as well, but you know, when we talk about how powers work, I'm not talking about how much hit points damage it does, or I'm talking about how many rounds you're going to be affected by it. I'm saying it in terms of minutes, or I'm saying it in terms of this will hurt you very badly, you know, that kind of stuff, or this can burn you alive, or this creature can eat you whole rather than saying it does 66 points of damage. Right. Well, that's exciting. Uh, yeah. And I, I think, again, it's it's trying as hard as possible to look at this from the outside. And all three of us who are writing on this. So I was the person who put together the project proposal and wrote sort of the, the architecture for it and a lot of the main sections. And I have two other people on my writing team, Stacey King and Andrew Wheeler. And both of them have come to D&D at kind of different points. Mm-hmm. So I'm the grognard who's been playing for way too long. And Stacy kind of came into it a little bit later. And then Andrew is relatively recent as a player. So even when we're bouncing sections off each other, there's a sense of, you know, looking at each other's work and, and getting a sense of, does this make sense to everyone? Is this clear? Is this, um, you know, too lore heavy are we winding ourselves too much into the details are we hitting those broad notes in a clear way we can sort of check and bounce all the stuff off each other or if i say hey we can do kind of a deep cut easter egg that you know even an older reader can read this and go wow i can't believe they mentioned this thing that ties into you know old school D stuff even though we're not pushing anyone out hmm. that's neat well, is there anything that I have forgotten to ask about the Young Adventurers guys? Um, 
I, I think well, one of the things that's amazing to me is the, um, you know, when you work with a huge publisher like Random House, mm-hmm. their printing and distribution is so massive. These beautiful little hardcover, full color books have got brand new artwork. Wait, they're hardcover? Uh, the, they're little hardcovers. I was imagining them to be, you know, like uh, not hardcover. <laughs> yeah. No, they're little hardcovers and they're $13. They're 120 pages. And they're little, uh, you know, hardcovers, 13 bucks. And so as a gift, as a, um, they're almost an impulse buy. Like they're in that price range of, I just want to get something for my niece or nephew or, oh, this will be really cool. The neighbor's kids will go crazy for this, you know, and, and that's the kind of, um, quick pickup and understanding. And whether or not anyone's playing D and D afterward, you know, a book filled with beautiful illustrations and cool ideas is going to ignite a kid's desire to want to tell stories through D and D or just by writing their own stories down. You know, I think one of the reasons why we've seen such a strong response from librarians and, you know, teachers is because with these encounters and with all these, these elements, it's just full of creative prompts for creative writing or story development or character development. And that obviously is within the framework of Dungeons and Dragons, but it's also broad enough to just be there. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When we're, there's a lot of call and response in the books where we're asking you to answer questions, uh, you know, about particular things. Let, let me grab one of the books here and I'll read you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. In the section under barbarian as a class, there's some questions at the very start of that section. It says, are you fearless in the face of danger? Do you prefer nature over the big cities? Do you sometimes lose yourself in anger? You might make a good barbarian. Uh, and so uh, yeah. these are, you know, things that a kid could look at or a new player could look at and go, yeah, I feel like I want to play that, you know? Right. And the same thing holds true with the different races. So you go through here with the gnomes. Are you fascinated by how the world works? Do you sometimes talk too much? Do you long to see the world and make new friends along the way? You might be a gnome. I might be a gnome. Right? And so that's kind of the thing that, you know, there's a real easy entry point for someone to be able to read this stuff, look through and understand the options placed before them. Well, and they sound Um, general enough. It's like a, it's like a horoscope, right? When you read the paper, you're like, oh, this could, this could apply to anyone or anything. Well, but who, you know, what do I feel like playing this time? What do I feel like being... The introduction to the wizards, or sorry, the introduction to the warriors and weapons book kind of sums it all up for me. Mm. And a lot of that was directly taken from my original project proposal. And it breaks it down to the absolute core of D and D and role playing. This is a fantasy story. You are the main character. Who are you and what do you do? And then it goes on into more detail what this book is all about. But that's really what it is. All the dice, all the stats, all the things don't matter as much as you knowing who you want to be in this story and making exciting and entertaining decisions around that. Right. Well, that's, that's pretty cool. Now, so assuming that I want to get these for all of my branches of the library. Now I live in the wilds of South Carolina, right? Um, how, I mean, I'm assuming these are all aimed, you know, directly at what, what was the age group again? Uh, we're saying, you know, generally eight and up. So, but we've actually had um, people tell us that they've been reading them to younger, uh, you know, people oh, nice. as like story time and stuff. They'll pick a the kid picks a monster and then they'll read through them together. Oh, that's pretty. 
pretty neat. Yeah. Uh, so if I were to get this for one of the libraries that, I mean, how much D and D trouble am I going to get into for having these in my library? Well, that's kind of the core for us was about making sure that there's nothing. It, it is using all the D and D lore, but there's absolutely nothing in here. I mean, the, the fifth edition D and D books are also, I think pretty free and clear in terms of, I don't know, um, controversial material. Right. I think the books are really, really well organized or really smartly done. They've got a sense of, uh, diversity that they've never had before. You're seeing all kinds of different people going on adventures. You're seeing, you know, it's, this isn't the, the era of the chainmail bikini, you know, anymore. Yes. And so the same thing here, one of the original ideas was I was hoping we would have some original artwork and some artwork taken from the books. But um, 10 Speed came back with the wonderful idea of let's do all new artwork. So even if you have the D&D books, there's like 60 or 70 pieces of brand new artwork that are in each of these books you've never seen before. Mm. So all new monster artwork, all new you know, locations and items and all kinds of stuff that is also just going to enhance your current running game, whether or not, you know, um, you, you have the, uh, the fifth edition books or not. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And the next question is, is do you have a introductory adventure to point people at once they have gotten through, or are you assuming that they're going to find their own DM who knows these um, things and will take their hand the rest of the way? So there's no adventure in these books, right. but I think the brand new Dungeons and Dragons Essentials kit has got a bunch of really great introductory adventures and one night adventures that are meant to be played in one, you know, session. Mm -hmm. And I think those are pretty perfect to build on what we do here in the Young Adventures Guides. Not to make you talk about someone else's products, but you know. No, they're great. Like, honestly, the D&D crew is, it sounds a little dorkish, but it, they're kind of like family now. We've all been working together for quite a few years. I started working on D&D in 2014. I've been doing the um, the official Dungeons & Dragons comic series mm -hmm. since 5th edition launched. And that was really kind of my way in to working on the D&D stuff was through the comic series. And over time, I've gotten to know the Wizards crew and the D&D gang, and they've been very, very supportive. And this project really kind of came out of a bunch of other project stuff we were doing. And when I was in the office, we were, you know, talking about how we got into the hobby. And I told them about my own experience starting to play when I was eight years old, how it was a huge uh, bridge to shared purpose and communication with my older brother. And it really changed my life. It made me want to make stories. It made me want to entertain people. I would not be a writer today without Dungeons and Dragons. And so working on and putting together the young adventures guides has kind of been like a full circle kind of feeling because I want to bring the next generation of people into the hobby and give them the kind of creative tools that I felt like D and D gave me and, ignite their imagination to make stuff. Can we talk about the D and D uh, comics for absolutely? For yeah. So um, those are not focused at introducing people to D and D so much as they're for people who are fans of either the lore or the game. Correct. Um, honestly, I try and make the D and D comic just be a, although it, it, 
always aligns to the lore, mm. you could just pick it up and enjoy a fun fantasy story that whether or not you know exactly all the things that we're referencing, you understand this is a spellcaster, this is a fighter, these are their personalities, this is what's at stake in this story, big action, big fun, let's go. And so for me, it's always been about bridging, you know, it, when I write superhero stuff, Yes, this character has been around for decades, but when you pick up this issue, I'll give you all the ingredients you need to understand in order to enjoy the story. And my job is, you know, to make sure it's both respectful of what has come before and also gives you a way in if you've never read it. And, right. and very much the same thing with D&D. The D&D comics got to be entertaining on its own merits, but it also, you know, is part of the bigger D and D world and the characters and the existing creatures. So it's not limited to people who are D and D enthusiasts, but it is super appealing to them. Yeah. I, and you know, and the appeal there is obvious. Like if you love D and D, you know, all this stuff or you are engaged to see how it is represented visually. I think what's really fun about the comics is that we get to do big visual storytelling, big action packed kind of stuff. The things that may only get a single illustration in one of the books or sometimes not illustrated at all, we get to have whole pages and stories and developments that we can show you and give you a broader sense of these worlds. Now, Jim, uh, talking about the the comic, is it strictly in issue by issue format or are there uh, graphic novels or compendiums? So they've collected them into there. They've been a series of mini series. Mm. And so they've collected them in what are called trade paperbacks, which are the collections of each mini series. Right. So the first one we did is called legends of Baldur's gate. The second one is called shadows of the vampire. The third one is frost giants fury. And then we did evil at Baldur's gate. And launching later this year, we have a new one called Infernal Tides. And each one of those is a collection you can buy, you know, with an actual spine instead of just stapled yep. through the back. Yeah, and they're even doing a really cool thing because the the earliest ones have done really well. They're taking the first three, so that would be Legends of Baldur's Gate, Shadows of the Vampire, and Frost Trans Fury, and they're releasing a larger compendium of just those three together, and it's called Days of Endless Adventure. Hmm. When's that due out? Do you know? That's going to be out in time for Christmas. <gasps> yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So that's going to be a really good way for people to get caught up if they didn't realize there were D and D comics. Uh, and it, it, you know, it feels good to have that kind of chunk of material that I've put out there and seeing these characters grow and develop just like you would, you know, level up a character. We've, we've dramatically shown these, this group of heroes, going through trials and tribulations. You've given them their growth and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a real joy. And, and, you know, trying to give the comics the feeling of a D and D session, like you don't obviously know what dice were being rolled, but that there's a spontaneity to it, that sometimes unexpected things happen that the characters aren't, they don't see coming. Even though I've built the story, I want there to be this feeling of energy and momentum and characters being caught you know, unawares because I, that feels very D and D to me. The feeling of a D and D story without all the stopping for your friends to tell them to quit showing each other YouTube videos or whatever's going on. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Not that that ever happens at my table. <laughs> <laughs> no, but anyway, um, Jim, thank you. This, this is exciting. Uh, so we got to talk about more than just the young adventurers guides, which is, yeah. Nice. Um, but uh, if you ever have anything else you think that would be great for 
librarians or teachers, then come on back to Games in Schools and Libraries or join us uh, where this may also be uh, listened to on the On RPGs podcast. It has been a pleasure talking with you. And thank you for uh, coming in on the leeward side of uh, New York Comic Con with uh, what I can only imagine is a barely escape from con crud, I hope. Yeah, yeah. That's why my voice, I, I'm sure some of the people that are listening to this are going to be like, that doesn't sound like Jim at all. Mm. I've got this raspiness to my voice because I've been doing, you know, I did a, a two two events over two weeks. Sultry con uh, voices. That's, that's right. I've got this smoky radio voice going here. There you go. So, Jim, if you could let our listeners know sort of where you can be found on the social Internet, if you would like to be, so that they can track down all of your other fine projects. Sure. So easiest place to find me is jimzub.com. So J-I-M-Z-U-B.com. And that's got an extensive rundown of all the books I've worked on, interviews, reviews, previews, all kinds of stuff, as well as a series of tutorials on how to pitch comic book stories, what publishers are looking for, how to break into the business, how to work with artists. So as I was getting going in the industry, I was writing this stuff down because as I was figuring it out, because I noticed there weren't a lot of resources for that. And it's become sort of a hub of uh, comic writing knowledge there as well. That's pretty cool. And is that, do you think, evergreen or is that still continuing to change with the, the way people connect on the Internet? Oh, I think that this, I mean, a lot of this stuff is holds true no matter what. Like gotcha. whether you're networking in person or you're networking online, I think a lot of the stuff holds true in terms of best practices and storytelling and, and the kinds of qualities that a publisher is looking for. Excellent. But that that sounds like a whole nother podcast. So Yeah, totally. Jim, thanks once again for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time. My pleasure. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast. You can find out more about us and the people who create this show over at InverseGenius.com and all of our other wonderful, wonderful shows, including on board games, on RPGs, the Inverse Genius podcast, and the Room Escape Divas. We are also now joined by the Party Gamecast and Nephilope, who you might remember as Stephanie, previous co-host here on the Games and Schools and Libraries podcast, and our friend, Lynn Theory. Thank you for listening. Games in Schools and Libraries is produced in association with the Georgetown County Library System.